Well, boy, it's been a long time, hasn't it? It's really a blessing to be able to be together, to see all of your faces, and uh, most of you actually got dressed for this. That's great. I was thinking, uh, you know, since we couldn't be in the classroom, this technology affords us to uh, put different backgrounds with our uh, with our pictures. So I thought, well, well, how would it be if I went ahead and put the class background up there for you, so you could you could kind of see? Yeah. Well, I, I won't leave that up there. That's probably not as uh, there's this one, and uh, this one's probably a little better. <laughs> Oh, no, you don't want to see the real thing. <laughs> well, I hope you brought your Bible with you. I'm sure it's there with you in the house someplace, but uh, if you don't have it, you might want to pull it out or take a second to go grab it, because we're going to uh, spend some time together in God's Word. I, was, uh, I had a dream this week. It was a pretty funny dream, as most dreams are. I was uh, pulled into a. I was driving and I pulled into a bank, and the uh, uh, I kind of pulled off to the side of a parking lot. And a guy pulled, backed out in a truck and hit my car. I, I dreamed this. I could feel the jolt in my dream. <clears throat> so I got out of the car to, to go over to him, and the guy just drove off. And I was able to actually read his license plate in my dream. They were Mississippi license plates. And uh, I could tell you the number, but it's probably somebody's real license plate. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we, uh, we tried to look it up on the Internet to find out maybe if I was supposed to connect with them and share the gospel with them or get their insurance or something. But it reminded me of uh, just the whole insurance uh, experience that we have, and thought about the fact that you know, I, I one time when I actually was in a wreck, I had a guy rear-end me one time at a uh, spotlight. I was sitting there at the spotlight, and I happened to notice in my rearview mirror that this guy coming up behind me was coming up behind me really fast, and I thought, you know, he's not going to stop, and uh, he slowed down when he saw me at the last minute. And I braced, I stuck my head back against the headrest, and he hit me. And so I got out, you know, we exchanged insurance and everything, and uh, every, everybody was okay, but uh, everybody went by car. But I thought, you know, what if I'd stepped out and said, you know what, you, you can't hit me, I have, I have collision insurance. Well, that's not how insurance works, is it? Auto insurance doesn't insure you from uh, an accident. Health insurance doesn't insure our health. Uh, life insurance certainly doesn't insure our life. All insurance does is give us some measure of security financially after the fact. And uh, for life insurance, uh, of course, that has nothing to do with you. It's all about the, the folks that you leave behind. Even in, in this life, sometimes even the best insurance, the best coverage that we possibly can have is, uh, is more reactive. It happens after the fact rather than proactive. So I, I thought about what is it the kind of security or the kind of insurance that really is uh, 
a, a comfort and a benefit to us. And of course, that's the Lord God. Uh, let's look together at Psalm 121. So pull your Bible out and look at Psalm 121. We're going to look at a couple of Psalms, actually. And as you make your way there, or you may be already familiar with the fact that Psalm 121 is uh, in those Psalms that are referred to as the Psalms of Ascents. Ascents in the, in the sense of ascending. Um, they were the songs that were sung, the psalms that were sung by the Hebrews as they ascended three times a year to Jerusalem uh, for the feasts. And the closest thing we have to it, I, I've, I've thought about this for a long time, the closest thing that we have to it are probably our Christmas carols. Because, you know, we can get together with a, another group of Christians from uh, a completely different state, and we can all sing Christmas carols. Everybody knows the words, uh, and everyone has the same tender feelings of, of passion and, and, uh, and of longing for God because those Christmas carols are familiar and they draw us together. The Psalms of Ascents were like that for the Hebrews. They were sung at times of pilgrimage, they were sung at holiday times, and they were uh, centered around familiar themes. Of course, our Christmas carols only focus on you know, the particular themes re- regarding the incarnation of Jesus. But the Psalms of Ascents focused on a, v- a wide variety of topics. And what we'll look at today is, uh, is a wonderful beginning. The first few Psalms of Ascents, they start at 120, and they go to all the way to 134. And these 15 Psalms uh, f- sort of have a progression, at least the first several of them do, And we won't look at Psalm 20, but you could just kind of glance over it real quick and see when he talks about uh, him crying to the Lord, and the Lord answered me, and he in verse 5 he talks about dwelling in a place called Meshach and the tents of Kedar. It's just this, this person who is a believer in God who is burdened by the fact that he lives in a godless world. And there's no solution there, really. He's just describing the problem. I am for peace, but when I speak, they're for war. There's this tension of living in the world. So Psalm 121 begins to take us now out of that tension or out of that, uh, that uh, struggle. And in the midst of that struggle, tells us where we're, where we're going. We're on a pilgrimage. We are on a journey. Um, we're on a journey to, to ultimately heaven and to the kingdom of God. But that is symbolized here in Psalm 121 by the pilgrimages that would go up to Jerusalem several times a year. So, let's begin this, uh, this pilgrimage or this journey right here in verse 1. Psalm 121 is a song of ascents. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, we're familiar with those words. Uh, You're probably very familiar with this psalm. It's a wonderful psalm, and there's so many wonderful songs actually based off this. But have you ever thought about what the singer means when he says that he looks to the mountains? He lifts up his eyes to the mountains? A lot of different thoughts on this. Uh, Some say because we are ascending 
to Jerusalem, that you're looking up to Jerusalem, and that may be part of it. Uh, that may be the mountains that the, the pilgrim's looking up at. But uh, Hebrew poetry, it's written in parallel lines. You can see it, hopefully, in your text there, where verse 1 is actually two lines, and verse 2 is actually two lines. They don't write them just one long line. They're, it's broken down into poetry the way the Hebrew text is broken down as well. And it gives us a helpful uh, principle here that you want to interpret Hebrew poetry in the sense that you look at one line and then the next line repeats the thought. For us, when we have songs, our songs are interesting or creative or we admire them based on the different rhythm and the different melody and the, the rhyming of it. And we, act, we actually have words that, that sound alike, and, it, and the creativity of combining those words is what makes our songs so beautiful. Well, in Hebrew poetry, it didn't work like that. They didn't, um, they didn't make it beautiful by rhyme or meter. Instead of repeating a sound, they repeated a thought. So if you think of it in that context, it really helps us to interpret Hebrew poetry, whether it's Proverbs or uh, Psalms or any of the other of the poetical books. So knowing that, look at verse 1 and 2 again. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. And then he asks a question, from where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We have an arrangement here in the Hebrew uh, we got it in English as well, but if you think about it, there are, in verses 1 and 2, there are four lines. And in this text, it's taking those two center lines and matching them together. And then it's taking the first and the fourth one and matching it together. Uh, we sometimes call that a chiasm. A chi is the Greek letter for what looks like an X to us. And so a chiasm is where the first and the last uh, uh, line have the same thought, and then the center lines have the same thought. And that's what's going on here. You can see the, the center lines ask and answer a question. Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. So that means that the first and fourth line also go together. And the reason that I'm making a point about this is because when he says, I'll lift up my eyes to the mountains— you're not just looking to the mountains, but you're looking to that which the Lord made. The fourth line says that the Lord made heaven and earth. So the purpose for looking up at the mountains for the singer is uh, not just how much longer till we get there, are we there yet? The, the purpose is I'm looking at what God has made. I'm looking at the power of God. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. so and, and not just the earth, not just the mountains, but even the stars and the sky behind it. So it's a, great, uh, it's a great metaphor of looking to the power of God. You might jot down this reference. You're probably familiar with it as well. But just listen to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It says, Since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. 
You see, the creation so clearly shows the power of God. Uh, the context of Romans 1 talks about the fact that some people actually mistake the creation for a God itself, and they'll worship that which declares the glory of God. They'll worship that which God has made as God itself, which is why we have people who worship the stars, who worship the sun, and tree huggers who worship nature. These things scream God's glory. But instead of looking to the God who created them, a lot of people just look to what's been created. It has a wonderful beauty about it, a supernatural beauty about it that we appreciate. And so the singer here in Psalm 121 is saying, I look to the hills. I look to the one, uh, to that which my creator has made, the one who gives me help. The help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. A lot of times we can look at the things that God has made to give us encouragement and to give us um, um, a boost when we're struggling with the, the rest of creation, which has fallen. We can look at that part of creation that still declares the glory of God and take great encouragement from it. Um, do you ever talk to yourself? You probably do. It's that little voice that you hear inside your head that tells you things. Everything from, wow, I did a really great job, to, you idiot, why did you say that? We talk to ourselves a lot. And uh, that can be a good thing, but that can also be a very bad thing when what we're listening to are negative things, things that are lies. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a book called Spiritual Depression. And the subtitle is Its Causes and Its Cure. I want, I want to read a quote from this book because I think it's very, very insightful. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones in the book Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cure. Here's what he says. He says, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself <clears throat> rather than talking to yourself. Think about that for just a second. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself rather than talking to yourself? And I love that because it talks about the fact that our emotions are real. This is a great reason to do what we're doing now. You can have coffee. You can step away and go to the restroom. <clears throat> you can even <clears throat> not even bring your shoes to class, which is what's happening with me. But anyway, I love it that our that that we can um, we can talk to ourselves and give truth to ourselves because our emotions do a lot of talking. Uh, they talk to us a lot, and the challenge with that is sometimes. Even though our emotions are real, they may not necessarily represent reality. That sounds like a tongue twister, but it's really true. Our emotions are real, but they don't necessarily represent reality. We can easily confuse emotions for truth because they feel so powerful. But they're not the source of truth. And so that's why the singer here, in, in a sense, in verses 3 and 4 now, he talks to himself. And he tells himself truth. Look at verse 3. The singer says, the psalmist says, He, God, will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, you read that and you think, well, that's a beautiful sentiment. In fact, what Jim was reading earlier from Psalm 90, that's a wonderful, there's a wonderful truth. But are these Psalms teaching that once you become a child of God, you don't got to worry about anything else? Your problems are all solved, your troubles are over. You know, Christians are a special group of people that God protects. Our feet never slip. Our kids and our grandkids always obey and do what we say. We don't have accidents. We don't have arguments. We don't have misunderstandings. We don't get the coronavirus. All things go perfectly. Well, if you are thinking that that's what this psalm is saying, then you're up against a real challenge because you know that the reality of life is not that. In fact, I love it. Uh, Eugene Peterson in his commentary on these psalms, he says, if that's what you believe, I have incredibly good news for you. You're wrong. <laughs> and it's good news because the reality of our lives is that things don't go well. So what, what does this psalm mean then? God will not allow our foot to slip. Our feet have slipped a lot of times. What's it talking about? Well, the point of these verses is, that, is not that God never allows godly people to suffer. I mean, you just look at the godly people throughout Scripture. You look at the Old Testament saints. You look at the apostles. You look at Jesus, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He suffered. He struggled. And he was perfect. So the psalm isn't teaching that. It's, it's teaching, remember, the proper way to read Hebrew poetry is to understand those parallel lines. In verse 3, it says that he will not allow your foot to slip. Yeah, but there's a second line in verse 3 that's parallel or that adds to the thought of it. He who keeps you will not slumber. The thought is, you will never, he will never allow your foot to slip because he is not taking care of you. He will never allow your foot to slip because somehow he went to sleep on the job. It's saying that, that God, uh, when things happen in our lives, it's not because God hasn't been watching or God hasn't been caring. He will never allow that to happen. Things never happen to us because he's asleep. Uh, he who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. God is never asleep on the job. You know that uh, uh, the, there's a the group of theologians, or really it's more of a, not really theology as much as it is a, uh, a worldview, called deism. And the thought of deism is that God created the world in six days, and then uh, he just kind of sat back, and now he's watching. And in a sense, he's just kind of wringing his hands because uh, he's, he's not involved. It's like that song. Remember that old uh, Bette Midler song? God is watching us from a distance. As Dr. Toussaint would say, eh, that is wrong. God is not watching us from a distance. He is very much involved in our lives. In fact, the Hebrew text here, every time the word you is used, it's singular. I checked that again uh, this morning, just looking through the psalm in the Hebrew. Every time that you is used, it's, it's singular. It's speaking to us as individuals, not to, you know, God is watching over Israel. That, that's collective. But then he also says that he who keeps Israel uh, he who keeps you will never slumber. 
your God, not just our God. He is my God, not just our God. He is your God, not just our God. He is by our side, keeping us, meaning he's watching over us. He's guarding us. He is not sleeping. He's not slumbering. He says the same thing now in verse 5. Look at, uh, look at verse 5. It says, the Lord is your keeper. Again, singular, your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. It's a, a beautiful figure of speech. Whether it's, whether it's day, whether it's night, it's sort of like a figure of speech of saying that God takes the heat. He is your shade. He provides you that, that protection from the sun or from anything that would harm you. Whether it's day, whether it's night, 24 hours a day, God is on the job as our keeper and our helper. Verse 7 continues, The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Notice the extremes. Day and night. Going out, coming in. Now, forever. God is protecting us from evil uh, all the time. In other words, nothing ever happens to us unless it comes through the sovereign hand and will of our Father. Nothing ever slips by. He will keep your soul, again, singular, your soul. And the Hebrew word there for soul, it doesn't just mean the immaterial part of us. Typically, when we read soul in English, we think of like our spirit, that untouchable part of us that goes to glory when we die. But the Hebrew word for soul here uh, refers not just to the immaterial part, but to to the emotional, to the physical. It's our whole person. God keeps your individual whole person. This is the the power and love of our individual God. Well, turn a few psalms over. I've got, I mentioned there was one more psalm for us to look at, and look at Psalm 125. It's a similar theme, but now we we talk about security, not in the sense of just physical security, but also now um, spiritual security. Psalm 125, it says, Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. Note that the the psalmist here sings about the security, not of everybody, but of those who trust in the Lord. To trust in the Lord from our perspective, I mean, the ultimate fulfillment of this is to talk about having a relationship with God. And having a relationship with God, as we know so well, only comes through faith in our Lord Jesus, who died on the cross and who rose again, showing that we will have, uh, that, that our sins are indeed forgiven. Life is full of those moments that, um, how could you say it? They expose our doubts. And we've all learned uh, the scriptures, but in spite of the, the scriptures that we've learned so often, there will be something that will come up in our lives that uh, will give us sort of a spiritual pause that will cause us to doubt, to cause us to wonder about the truth of God's word. 
and about the character of God. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a pastor or a leader that has failed you. Maybe it's your own failure. Maybe it's uh, uh, whatever, the reason. Uh, Seasons of doubt and confusion come even to the most committed followers of Jesus Christ. And the good thing about that, though, is that we're in these moments of spiritual pause or of, of concern, God gives us a picture here that helps. And he gives us a picture in these verses that uh, helps to have an actual picture. So let me see if I can, with our wonderful technology here, if I can share my screen and show you a picture. Dave, will you let me do it? I see you, but I don't see... Do you see the picture? You you can see it. Okay, all I see is you. So hopefully everybody else sees the, the picture. It should be a map. Okay. All right, so if you can see my little my little mouse mousing around here. This is Jerusalem. Okay. So this is Jerusalem. And as the text says, it says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which can't be moved. So Mount Zion is Jerusalem. In fact, it says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem. So if you just look at this topographical map, uh, this was done by W. W.M. Thompson in 1880. So maybe maybe uh, this guy's related to you, Barbara. Who knows? Oh, there's no P in it, so probably not. So on the eastern side, of course, we're very familiar with the Mount of Olives that surrounds Jerusalem. But on the south, there is another hill just opposite the Hinnom Valley. And it's called today the Hill of Evil Council. It's actually where the UN building is. <laughs> but that's what it's called. On the western side, um, you can't really see just off the map here, is the, the, um, the rain shadow, or I should say the ridge of the whole hill country. And so that's on the western side of Jerusalem. On the northern side of Jerusalem, up here, you can barely see it, perhaps, is Mount Scopus. The Mount of Olives actually curves around, and Mount Scopus is right here at the top. So, the hills, the mountains, literally surround Jerusalem. And it's also helpful to to see a a picture of it. Here is a picture. We're looking to the east, the rising sun, and you can see the, the Dome of the Rock here where the Temple Mount is, and how the Mount of Olives rises above it. And so we are, and we're standing now on the western hill, But the mountains literally do surround Jerusalem. And as a result, it gives us a picture. What he says here in verse 2, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. All right. So, it's a a wonderful picture of the security of of, uh, Christians. Of believers, and of course, in the Old Testament, it was uh, the Hebrews. But from our perspective, the principle is still there. 
So, mountains surround Jerusalem, and the point is, God surrounds his people. And in a similar way, Psalm 121 says, I look to the hills, I look to the mountains for inspiration to remind that my creator God is in control. And then Psalm 125 says, I look to the mountains that surround Jerusalem for a reminder that my God is protecting, my God is sovereign, my God is with us. He is with us, he surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. God has given his promises, but he's also given these wonderful physical illustrations that come to us again and again for assurance. And it's helpful that they come again and again. Again, these are psalms of ascents, remember. They would be sung several times a year. Several times a year, good theology would be sung and would be thought through in the minds of God's people during all those hours as they'd be walking up to Jerusalem. They would be reminded of, um, of God's truth. And we need that reminder. Look at verse 3 at a big reason we need it. Verse 3 says, For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon the land of the righteous, so that the righteous will not put forth their hands to do wrong. What does that mean? It's referring to the scepter of wickedness. If you think about a scepter, it's, it's ruling or a power or authority. And so a wicked authority is not going to rest upon the land of the righteous. Why? So that the righteous will not put forth their hands to do wrong. So once again, our God is watching out over us. The scepter of wickedness refers to the evil authority that's in the world uh, over the child of God. And we see it. We see it in our world, don't we? Uh, We see it mostly in the despots of history, like Hitler and Stalin. Those are the easy ones to point out. But we also see it in crooked politicians. We see it in some preachers. We see it in some CEOs of nonprofits. Any leader, whether it's political or, or uh, religious, who doesn't trust in Jesus Christ. And the authority, we're told here, doesn't rest, meaning it isn't permanent. Thank goodness it isn't permanent. And one reason is because, and again, God is our helper here, so that the righteous will not put forth their hand to do evil, to do wrong. We're influenced by our culture. It's the whole longing that we saw in Psalm 120 to get out of it and to go and to be with God's people because we're so influenced by our culture and we need God's help. And so we're told here in the psalm that, that, that wickedness is not going to reign forever. Thank goodness we've got that promise. And then the final prayer here in verse 4 is wonderful because we do need God's assistance as we live in this world. Verse 4 says, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But as for those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead them away with the doers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. We see two different people here, two different destinies, those who trust in the Lord and those who turn aside to their own ways. And the last phrase is wonderful, peace be upon Israel. If I could maybe paraphrase that more informally. God is saying, rest, relax in my security, relax in my love, relax in the assurance and protection that I've given you as my child. It's a wonderful promise of God's presence, 
of God's uh, power, of God's protection in our lives. And during this day where we're all sort of stuck and we're wondering if the wheels are coming off in our society, uh, these, these two Psalms are a great reminder to us that, nope, God's still on the throne. Uh, nope, evil isn't going to last forever. That there is a future and there is a hope and our God is still in control. The Christian life, as you know so well, is not a walk in the park. It is often a walk in the rain. And we, we breathe the same uh, air everybody else breathes. We walk the same road. We suffer with the same sicknesses. We have the same car accidents. But the difference is that while we do all these things, we do it with our God. We do it with the Lord right beside us, who will never leave us, who will never forsake us, who through the power and authority of Jesus has left his Holy Spirit with us, that we, uh, that we have that assurance and that comfort until he comes to get us. We trust in the Lord, and we, like Mount Zion, are surrounded uh, by mountains, as it were, just as the Lord surrounds us from this time forth and forever. Let's pray. Our Father, thanks for the reminder today to be able to look into the Word and to remind ourselves that we need to um, we need to talk to ourselves more than listen to ourselves. That our emotions are not the barometer of truth, but instead we look to Your Word and to these wonderful promises that you uh, that You're in control, and that what we're experiencing now in our world doesn't surprise You. In fact, somehow, it is part of your grand sovereign plan, and we praise you for that. Thank you for this encouraging reminder today, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.